Welcome to another episode of At The Bar Podcast. I am your host, Mike. Is that where I introduce myself? I'm Jeff. Uh, hi, Jeff. <laughs> That's me. And we were podcasting on Google Hangouts, <laughs> where the internet could suck at any given moment. <laughs> Apparently, right? Apparently. Yeah. yeah. So this episode is supposed, was supposed to be uh, Cuba Part 2, but Cassie is feeling a little bit under the weather. And, you know, me and Jeff think it would be the best for her to be on each of the you know the second part of cuba so we are doing the cuba episode next episode hopefully this hurricane that's coming our way doesn't fuck us over too bad but you know we're gonna have to wait a week guys so uh sorry about that but we're gonna have a little bit of fun uh oh yeah we're a little bit uh, a little bit uh creative and and kind of have a little discussion and this really idea influenced the idea for this episode really kind of influenced because i recently went to the newest brewery in orlando uh in downtown i won't name any names just in case uh things are said that might be misconstrued or anything but um you get easily downtown to look orlando it up. new brewery got it yeah, downtown orlando brewery not that hard to find but you know looking there checking it out brent i went to their opening weekend and kind of i want you know me and jeff to kind of talk about you know things that uh oh, let's say uh new things that new breweries should take into account and this is going to new breweries this is going to current breweries this is going to you know breweries that have been around for a while whatever but kind of tips and things that we as consumers me and jeff who are you know really into the industry are kind of looking for and to kind of help breweries kind of you know make everything easier really excel at you know the things that really matter to us when we go to breweries so that's this episode we don't have like a top 10 things. We're just going to kind of, you know, have a uh, discussion and, and go from there. Uh, typical at the bar way. Very little rehearsal. <laughs> we're just going to go with it and see how we're going to wing it. it. We're going to wing it. And you're going to love it. So I'm going to start it off. Uh, I know Jeff runs Black Marlin. Uh, so he's very much into like the whole restaurant industry and works in it and how a restaurant should function. So I went to this brewery, Jeff, and I haven't I don't think I told you this. But they have a bar, right? Every brewery has a bar, but they had like mm-hmm. a you know tables, different tables throughout the, the tap room. Well, they didn't have an area for people. They didn't have a server, so people sitting at the tables would have to go up to the bar to order drinks. But because the whole bar was full, if you were to order like a flight, you'd have to like you know lean over people's shoulders, order the flight, and then have to pick the flight up with each little beer filled to the brim over people, hopefully not to spill on them and then go back to mm. your seat. And it's kind of, right. kind of hit me to where it's like, if you're not going to have a server, at least have an area to where people sitting at tables designated outside, for where people can come. Right. And I was kind of wondering maybe on maybe, you know, your expertise on being in the restaurant industry and, and managing bars and restaurants, kind of maybe your opinion on the importance of it, if it's required, execution kind of something like you know stuff like that um well i don't think you need table service i i genuinely i mean it depends on the place a, a small uh brewery like that i don't necessarily think you need a uh, table service but what i've seen done and what i kind of like is a small i mean even six foot section of the bar that is roped off and left for walk-up customers and then you can put uh chairs down for the rest or whatever um 
And that gives you kind of a, an opportunity to sell to people where they're not, like you said, lifting drinks over their head. And it also forms like a little bit of an organized line so that the bartender isn't scattered all over the place looking for the next customer. They kind of have a, like a one, you know, a six foot space where people come up to. That's personally what I like um, as a consumer. And I see the benefit as a bar owner as well. Um, but ultimately the best thing to do is just to have table service, even if it's a small place, just to have one server, um, and a service well, where you can make their drinks for them and stuff, because it just alleviates all the issues that go along with it. And it provides a little bit more of a service. It's another point of sale. It's another opportunity for somebody to influence, uh, the customer's time and, you know, and lend into them having a good time and wanting to come back. So Ultimately, I think table service is the best, but if you're not going to have it, you do need to kind of dictate a, a, a specific way to get to the bar. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely makes things easier. Like, you know, I don't I don't mind going up and getting my own drinks, um, but when I, you know, all the breweries I go to, it's, you don't really see that, you know, not just table service, but you don't see an area kind of designated for people sitting at tables to order. You always have to order, find an open gap at the bar or flag somebody right. down and stand off to the side. And it's kind of, kind of difficult. So would you, I mean, if you were to pick between the two, do you think, you know, you're opening your brewery, would you rather have a server or would you rather have an area to designate off, you know, to the side of it does have to be dead center, but off to the side of the bar to where people can just kind of walk up and, and pay. Or, or get I'd drinks. rather have a server. Okay. I personally, my, the way I like to run things is more personal. The way I kind of look at it is the more people that you can have that influence somebody's time, the more likely they are to come back, especially if you hire and train their people properly. Um, so I would prefer to have a server. I understand the, the dollars and cents behind that. And if it doesn't make sense financially, how, why you would want to, from that but ultimately i think that's the right decision is if you, even if it's just one server for a small place or not a, you know if, if it's not busy enough to have more servers then don't have more servers you know if one person yeah. can handle it then that's fine um but ultimately i think that's the way you have to do it if you don't do it that way um it just creates an opportunity for an annoyance and the way that the restaurant and bar industry is now is any little thing that's going to annoy somebody will be the reason that they don't come back next time and you don't want to, you want to just try to eliminate as many of those opportunities as possible for somebody to say, you know what, man, like I would, I would go back there, but it's just so hard to get a drink. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah, and that's I, not I your fault, but, right. but it's just another reason that if somebody's at home, I mean, that's the hardest thing to do to get somebody to decide to come to your place when you're not there to tell them to, when they're at home and they're deciding where to go, you have to have put on such a good show last time they were there for them to think about you. Yeah. Any reason true. not to, if you give them any reason not to, then they're never going to come back, you know? And that's yeah. just, unfortunately the way the world is, but there's a million choices and you have to somehow be at the top of the list. Yeah. And I, and I feel, you know, with the craft beer industry and even, even craft beer bars and, and everything like that, you know, impressions are be good. Impressions are becoming harder and harder to achieve, uh, you know, without a bias, Ex you know, obviously like if, you worked in Orlando and you ran a restaurant. Obviously I'd be up there all the time because we're friends. We do the show. But if I don't know anyone working at this brewery or restaurant, 
it's making a good impression. I think is becoming harder and harder because there's so many breweries, there's so many craft beer being served everywhere to where well, and expectations are high. Yeah, exactly. Right. Expectations have gone up because there are a lot of places doing a lot of really cool stuff. And then that cool stuff becomes the norm. And then all of a sudden, like once that's the norm, you expect it. And then if they don't have it, what would have been cool two, three years ago is now like, wow, I can't believe they don't have that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I understand how hard it is, you know, hitting expectation every single time, but you're a brewery, you serve one thing and you should be, well, you know, awesome at it. Should be hard. You have to be forward thinking. Yeah. It's you elected to get into the business. So I don't, I mean, yes, I get that it's a, it is a very quickly evolving and changing business and being a, a brewery owner is hard work because like we were just saying, the expectation is growing every day. When people come into your tap room, they expect more and more every time. And you know, that's tough, but at the same time, that's what you elected to do. You bought that. That was what you chose to run and you need to stay up, you know, be forward thinking and stay in front of what you you know what you're trying to do if you're not yeah. going to then you shouldn't have been in that business to begin with yeah and that's i mean that's a good point to bring up being forward thinking because there's some instances where like i feel breweries or brewery owners in general think present and not think long term which brings me to another point if you're looking to open a crap brewery or if you just opened kind of you know another tip to look forward to maybe on the business side is looking to look before you even open look to expanding and a prime example is and i'll use it all day is red cyphers in my opinion they yes. hit the nail on the head with they open in a big era that they could grow into there i mean yeah they're paying you know at the time they were paying for space they weren't using but you can fill it with tanks you can fill it with other things to where that extra space isn't going to waste and and they don't have to move they don't have to change locations. If they expand, they're expanding within their own space, within their own system to where they don't have to get acclimated to moving things over and having to deal with a new location, new right. water, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. that's something that – go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Well, what they did and what, what they did, which I think is smart and what I don't think – because it's like how big do you start? Do you start so big that you never have to move or do you start big enough where – you can expand a little bit and then get yourself into distribution. Cause eventually if you have a good product, you're going to outgrow any space that you're in. Right. Um, so ultimately what I think red Cypress did, and I don't know if this is what they did, but this is what I would do. And it seems kind of like what they did is I would buy a place big enough to expand to the point. I hope that you guys can kind of follow what I'm trying to say here, or if I can explain it properly, expand and, to the point where your distribution numbers are high enough that making a move would be affordable. Oh, that makes sense. So get a, get a opening space, a space opening big enough that at your max capacity, you're making enough money that moving to the next step won't take you multiple years of saving and, and doing pinching pennies and all that stuff. Get it to the point where, okay, my, my initial space is just big enough that if I hit my max distribution out of there, I'm making good enough money that if I need to go bigger, I can easily. You know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. that's 100%. where you have to be. That's like the threshold. You don't have to go bigger than that because if you go bigger than that, you're paying when you're making the least amount of money, you're paying more for your overhead. Yeah. So that's where it's like you have to walk that line of where how big do you go but that's where that would be where my cutoff would be is i would do the math on it and say how big do i have to be where expanding is no longer an issue and then right off the start yeah and and 
you know, we all we all poke fun about how the the rise in uh, breweries and strip malls, and there there is an immediate attraction to that. The space is small, costs less. You have other businesses kind of bringing people in. You know, oh, there's a furniture store. You know, let me go here. Or oh, there's a you know what a, a restaurant and oh there's a brewery in the same shopping center i get the the enticement of that but i think long term very and actually just as much short term as long term opening in a space that you could grow into is a well worth investment right away because then you're not limiting yourself you know the minute th- those doors open as a brewery owner i would say i'll say my doors are open i'm looking to expand and so i think so many you know, owners or brew, brew, head brewers, whatever, or just focus into maintaining what they have right now. And if you're brewing good beer, yeah, that's going to be a very problematic issue that you're going to have within probably your first year is not keeping up with demand. And then people are like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I would go well, here, but they never have anything good. And, and we've, seen that, we've seen that at some other breweries in Orlando that, again, we won't mention names, but a brewery that I've been trying to get their signature beer for three times that I've gone in there and never gotten it. Cause they're always out of it. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, honestly, like I was saying before, it gives you, it gives you a reason not to go there. Cause you're like, you know, why would I go there, dude? I always want this beer and it's never there. And it's like their signature beer. I can never get it. And it's like that it's not their fault, but it is their fault. You know, like, <laughs> right, yes, right. they made a very popular beer. They made a very popular beer. People love it. Good for them. Like, that's a good thing. They did a good job. But now they can't even keep up with enough of the demand on it to provide it every time that people come in, and it pisses people off. And you've just inadvertently created a reason for people not to want to go there. And it's so easy to do that, to create a reason that subconsciously or consciously people say, I don't want to go there because of this reason. And it's nothing that's truly like at like that you're at fault for. It's just the way your restaurant runs and like yeah. like you were saying before you can't get to the bar that's not really the bar's fault so they were busy like good for them they did a good job they're putting out good beer the bar's full like by the business standpoint they're doing great but that's an issue that they need to look at and say if i can't if, if my customers can't get to the bar one i can't sell them beer but two they're going to leave unhappy and they're never going to come back so yeah. you have to think about how to fix that. And it's a problem that you inadvertently made, but it could cost you customers. Yeah. And in a, in a market that's growing so fast, you know, every person counts more so than in a restaurant, more so than I think most industries is that, you know, in craft beer, you lose one person, you're really losing 10 to 15, maybe even 20. Cause then that person could say, well, I would go to ABC brewing, but they never have this beer that I want. And so I'm just going to go to the one around the corner or, I'm going to go to a bottle shop or a bar down the street. And then it's a huge word of mouth industry. So yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like we leave a bar, we talk about it with each other. And then I talk about it with my friends and you talk about it with your friends and we talk about it on a podcast. And <laughs> next thing you know, hundreds and hundreds of people are, are hearing our opinion. And granted, we have a little bit more of a platform than the average person because of the show. But right. um, I mean, anybody could leave a bar or leave a, you know, leave a brewery and, the craft beer community is so connected that they go and post something in, in any of the craft beer groups on Facebook, or they talk to all their friends, they talk to their bottle trade friends, they talk to, you know, whoever. And next thing you know, your bad experience turns into 30, 40 people who don't want to go to that brewery because you were passionately against it. Yep. And 
Um, and most people, I think most people are logical enough, say, I'm going to give it a try anyway and see for myself or at yeah, least curious enough. Yeah. But, but they're going in with, with, you know, a, those a that lens on already. Yeah. Negative impression. They're going in with a negative impression and then every little thing is going to piss them off that much more. Mm-hmm. Even the, the, even the light, the smallest slip up, they're like, oh, well, uh, uh, I'm getting my one beer and getting the hell out of here. So it's crazy. It's a crazy, I mean, I love it. No matter how much I may gripe about certain things, like I wouldn't change it for the world. So, um, oh, absolutely not. You know, we like it enough that we talk about it every yeah, week. We talk about it every week. <laughs> and even, and even throughout the week before the show, Jeff will send, Hey, guess what I'm drinking? A wizard week <laughs> or a wizard way. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, I drank a few of them on the boat yesterday. We had a good yeah, time. Yeah. Check out our Instagram. Drinking the the wits. <laughs> so, you know, that's another thing. Myself with some wizard wit. Yeah, yeah, you, I can't get it in Orlando. But anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Um, so another thing that kind of, as I'm at work, you know, around beverages, around beer and stuff, another thing that kind of, you know, with all these breweries opening up is the importance or lack thereof of location. Real estate is all about location, location, location. But I think in craft beer, if you're opening a brewery, Location is important to where you need to consider your immediate radius. But if you're out in the boonies a little bit and you brew good stuff, location may not matter as much as people think. Case in point, rap. In my opinion, rap is is one of the best breweries in in Florida. I'm on the fence with it being my top in Tampa between rap and angry chair. I'm, I'm really on the fence between the two of them being number one. But rap is... In Seminole, Florida, I, I mean, really out of the way. If you're going to St. Pete, you have to drive, you know, a distance to get to Seminole. And Rap is three blocks in or two blocks in an industrial park that you would never know it's there. And it's right there in the middle of the parking lot. But they kill it. Yeah, it's stuff. it's pretty hidden. It's the hidden gem. It's actually hidden even if you know it's there. <laughs> like when you, you're like, is this the turn? This is where I go? Yeah. Yes, every time. Yeah, this is it. Still, still the same term. like it's it's hidden even if you know it's there but it's uh it's a little secret no actually i was gonna say that um in my list of kind of things that i think for new breweries i actually think that location obviously location is key you have to buy into a market where there's craft beer drinkers but i think kind of like the out in the middle of nowhere destination breweries do very well Um, i think breweries are something I think breweries are something that people will travel to if they like the beer. And uh, and usually if you're out there, you can have a better atmosphere and a better space for cheaper because you're out in the middle of nowhere. And there's a lot of these big warehouse space breweries that are out like kind of off the beaten path that are killing it. And they're 15 minutes out of the way, but people will drive it because it's, because it's a cool spot. It's worth it, yeah. And so they'll go out there and instead of having a tiny little strip mall brewery that's right in the middle of everything, you could have this giant warehouse space for the same price and have a way cooler tap room and just way cooler stuff and space to grow and all this stuff. And people will still drive it, you know, like I've never been deterred by 15 minutes of going to a brewery. And I think most craft beer people would agree. And it's the kind of like cool niche thing that people are like, they want to make that drive almost out there. 
yeah, it, it gets them excited when they're driving through the sticks of like, oh man, we're going to rap or oh man, we're going to X brewery. And it's, it's, I mean, so I think, I mean, look, ugh, dude, I'm still like confused with this, with what I want to say. Like, look, some of the best breweries are in the sticks, rap. I mean, I would even say Red Cypress is kind of out there with being in Winter Springs. Winter Springs in general oh, yeah. is kind of out there. But there's also breweries in downtown locations primed for, you know, downtown St. Pete, downtown Tampa that have location set. They're paying a premium and their beers are just not as good as a brewery that's out in the sticks. Does that make sense? And I think that's like a little bit of security for them that they're in a good location. So it's like really hard to fail if you're in that prime location. Like, so for instance, like let's say one that's in the middle of or close to the middle of downtown Orlando that we've talked about before that's not very good. Um, yeah. They're they're still there. They're still kicking. They're still doing okay. Um, I have yet to go back and try them again, but they're still doing it. And they've done it with subpar beer for now almost three years. And and they continue to do it because their location is right there in the middle of the walking lane between like nine different bars and restaurants. And people pop in occasionally and get a beer or they pop in on their way over here and they'll end up getting a flight or something. And, and that's, that's how they survive is their location. Um, will they ever grow out of it? No. Are they going to continue to strive? Probably not, but it is a security <laughs> for them to yeah. know that they always have foot traffic in front that of people who are drinking and who are going from bar to bar who are going to pop in. Yeah. Now and, do you go ahead? Well, that's kind of, I mean, that's just, okay. I think some places are like that. Some places, if you're going to, I think if you have designs on expanding and being good and, and really getting into distribution and, and hitting the market hard, like I think being out in the boondocks doesn't hurt you. If you're opening up a craft brewery because you are a home brewer and you kind of think your stuff might be good and you think it'd be a good way to make some money a little bit and trying to just kind of hang out and, and make a living on your one restaurant, like probably going into the small place in the middle of business centers and stuff like that is probably not a bad business strategy. If you're not planning on hitting the market, you know what I mean? Like right. if you just want to have your one place, yeah. but if you're going to be like, like a funky Buddha or, or a cigar city or, or these places that want to really hit the market hard. I mean, look at the places they have, they're all warehouses and giant freaking facilities. Like, yeah. And they're not they're not in a mall. They're not in a strip mall. They're not like right off. I mean, you have to drive to get to those places, but they're worth going to. And people make the drive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I have a question. This kind of this kind of came up last minute. Do you think breweries uh, or brewery owners, because they are in a you know a downtown area, an area with high foot traffic, do you think that location covers their beers being subpar and really kind of like blocks them from striving to make better beer like oh well you know i'm in you know downtown tampa 10 minutes from the airport i can make whatever the fuck i want like i don't have to you know spend all this time r&d to make the best of this or the best of that i can just make average shit and i'll still be you know well off oh i absolutely think that the potential is there for that but there's a lot of breweries that are in downtown centers that are in small places like cycle is like right in downtown st pete walking distance from other breweries. Um, 
and they have a very innovative culture in, in St. Pete where everything is about making innovative beers and, and doing cool different, you know, culinary inspired beers and different kinds of, I mean, cycle, everybody knows cycles reputation in the state. It's very, it's a good reputation. Um, they're innovating and they easily could get by on being cycle brewing in St. Pete. Everybody walks by our front door. So we'll just uh, put out crap beer and it'll be okay. And I think that some breweries do it, but I think that the forward thinking good breweries don't necessarily use it as a crutch. The only thing I could say is that the main, like those breweries that are like the smaller foot traffic city center kind of breweries, they probably have an obligation to make lighter beers more often than another brewery what might um, and more boring, like palatable beers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't also make the crazy good beers too. But I feel like they do have to have more of the palatable appeal to everybody kind of styles because that's who's walking by. So um, that would be the only thing I would say, like it handcuffs them to those styles a little bit more, but a good a good brewer is still going to brew a good beer, no matter what. Unless I mean, like I said, if they're only there to make money, then no, they're not going to innovate. They're not going to make any different kinds of cool beer or anything because they don't need to. They're going to have the foot traffic coming in. But the people who are there for the beer, they're going to do it no matter if there's customers in the building or not. Yeah, and, and one one more point I want to I want to with location before we move on is, oh, you want to open a brewery in an area an immediate area that can support a brewery. For example, I'm in Orlando, Jeff's in Jupiter, right? But with Jeff living in Orlando for so long, he can relate that there is no brewery in the Altamont or Lake Mary area for some reason. And I think that would be a prime location if you were to open a brewery. A bad location for a brewery would be Bithlow in Christmas, which there is nothing for 20 miles. <laughs> well, Bithlow, Bithlow, if if your brewery made nothing but Bud Light. Your, if your brewery yeah, made Bud Light and had a PBR special for a dollar a can, it would do very well in Bithlow. Um, yeah. But well, that's, no, that's the thing not, I'm trying to point out is you, you not a lot have, of opportunity there. No, now, yeah. our Hourglass is out in Lake Mary, and they are it's out in Altamont. Oh, and they do, they're, well, they're, I mean, they're only like 10 minutes from, from Altamont. So they do, they're, and they're big they good too. Stuff. They're a oh, big yeah. brewery, and they do good stuff. So that's out there. But no, I mean, when you're talking about towns like little ass Sanford has like multiple craft breweries and Orlando has a bunch and, um, and you know, everywhere in the area around Orlando has a lot of breweries and then Altima only has the one. And, you know, I think that hourglass could stand to have a little competition. (laughs) So yeah, I think that is a prime. (laughs) I think that is a prime location and there's a lot of craft beer people out there. I mean, I used to, I used to manage at that world of beer out in Altima for a long time. And, uh, they they definitely have a craft beer you know per group down there there's a lot of people that come out um all those restaurants in the downtown uh Altima area right on the lake there are big craft yeah. beer places they have a lot of taps of craft and um yeah it's definitely there i mean they just opened up a total wine that has a huge craft beer section right across from the Altima uh downtown That's Altima really mall so uh i think a brewery in that area would absolutely murder it um, we'd probably put world of beer out of business, but it would murder it. <laughs> so, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely a prime area, but that's what, I mean, you have to know your demographic. It's very important that you know what you're serving and who you're serving it to. Um, but there's, I mean, now 
there's craft beer drinkers just about everywhere. You just don't want to go real rural or real redneck because they're the people who are still like to a fault going to yell at you and tell you that, you know, Bud Light and Coors Light are the best beers on earth. Um, and they won't. And, and you know what? Like I say all the time, I drink Coors Light. I had Coors oh, Lights yeah. yesterday, but, <laughs> but they don't give you, but I just don't like the idea of being so closed minded that you won't even try craft beer out of principle. Yeah. Um, and just tell me that Bud Light's the best no matter what. Like, well, it is okay. The best. <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I get it. It's cool. But like, if somebody gives you a free beer, you're going to laugh at him and yell at him and tell him it's not good because it's not Bud Light. Like you're maybe <laughs> a little, you're maybe a little too loyal. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely uh, if you're opening a brewery, immediate area is very important. Very, very important. I was, I'd say a, a good 10 to 15 mile radius. You want it to be very craft beer, hand, uh, craft beer heavy with the drinkers. Um, so I kind of want to know what some of your points, Jeff. I know I've kind of dominated a little bit of the, uh, the points. I'll kind of hear what you, what you think. Okay. So one thing that I think if you're opening up a brewery, the uh, something that's very important that I actually don't see as often as you think you would because it's kind of a no-brainer um, is that you need to have at least six to eight of your own beers ready to go, and they need to be on tap, like, permanently. You can't have the, I'm out of this and I'm out of that and this and that, and then you end up with three of your own beers on tap when people come in. And when you get new breweries, that's a huge problem. Oh, my that, God, yeah. That they open with 10 to 15 taps and only three of them are theirs or or there's supposed to be six that are theirs, but they're having issues bringing out certain things. And like if you're having that issue, you weren't ready to open and you you should have waited and, and you should have developed a couple more recipes and you should have made sure that you had enough to, you know, and you could your brewery schedule was set up accordingly where you could meet you meet demand and um i think it's a huge issue i also think on that same token that i think you need at least a seasonal lineup of beers that you do every three three four months Mm -hmm. every three months whatever and you have something that people can come into seasonally because if you're getting customers back every three months that's not bad, honestly, in, in hospitality to get them back even just once every three months to try your new seasonal beer. But if you only have the same six beers on every time that people come and there's no rotation and there's nothing exciting and new on other than guest taps, they're going to go get those guest taps at another bar. Oh, yeah. And and they're not going to get yours because why would they? They've had your beer before. It's OK. I've seen it before. It's cool. Whatever. So, you know, you have to at least rotate something in and it. it if it's not a seasonal lineup, then you have to at least be doing a new beer every few months. Oh yeah. And putting it on tap, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or every month, really. Even if it's like, before I get too ahead of myself, like this goes back to what we've been saying pretty much this episode one is before you open your doors, learn your system, learn your system. Just like you said, so many times do breweries open and their beers are just underwhelming on multiple levels the stout is like water the double ipa with citra you know you can taste the efficiency the lack of efficiency because it's just it's just a a liquid hop like it's like soap and it it just learn your system before you open even if it's a smaller batches give them out at beer festivals to get your name out there like hey guys come check out my brewery and that's where i think 
planning on opening and, and getting that stuff right is so important because we've we've said for such a long time that first impressions may be the only impression oh yeah there's so much competition know your system before you open absolutely and it's so important if you, you shouldn't be open it's the only industry where people are opening like obviously too soon that even even somebody who's not in the industry could walk in and see things that are like like i've been into breweries that have opened and like their tv wires are ran but they don't have a tv up on the shelf and like like the walls are still not painted and they only have a few and it's like why did you open like you're not ready to open yet you know and and how many breweries have we gone into where where they're having issues with their beer quality and, or they know it and they're not even putting that beer on tap. Cause Oh, it's an infected batch and it's this and that. It's like, you weren't ready. Like you could have easily taken a month and just did a few soft openings, did a few friends and family things, got the place settled, worked a couple shifts with some, like, you know what I mean? With yeah. like almost like a, a fake opening where you bring only friends and family in, Identify your issues, identify your shortcomings, figure out what's wrong with your beers, get your system under control, and then open. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. I, I see it so often. And in, I'll tell you right now, in restaurants, that never would happen. Like if it did, that restaurant would not succeed. Like restaurants don't open before they're ready to open. But for some reason, breweries, they Do like jump the, the gun all the time. Yeah, all the time. And people are okay with it. Like, like customers are like uh, fine with it where they're like, well, you know, they just opened. So we'll give them another chance next time. And, and I think that that's been the saving grace. That's been like the crutch that breweries use is like, well, people will still come back, but for every person who's that chill, who says like, oh, well, you know, they just opened, we'll give them another chance. There's like five people who are like, fuck that place. Yeah. I mean, these people have to understand that, you know, they're have they're fighting a battle between, you know, I've invested this amount this amount of money all this time. I need to start turning, you know, getting money, you know, bringing money in. But on the flip side, like my time as a consumer is just as valuable as the money in my wallet. And if I go to a, a brewery and the beers are lacking, like I feel mad, disappointed, angry, you know, anything synonym like that because I just wasted my time. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, you guys are pretentious. You guys have high standards. One, pretentious, slightly, maybe. I'll give you a little bit on that. But my time is my money, and my money is my time. Like, it's just I don't want – like, I know what a stout should be. If you're brewing a beer and call yourself a professional brewer, you know what a stout should be. Aroma, body, color, flavor, all of that. And you taste the beer and then put it on tap with it not being that, Shame on you. And even, but, well, here's the thing. <laughs> if that's so, if you, I agree with you, but if that's why they were doing it without the intention of changing it, then, then I'm like, okay, that's if they're putting it on tap and they know it sucks that, and they're planning on changing it, then shame on them. But if they're just a new brewer and they think it's good because they've brewed for their home brew friends and they've given out samples to people and that everybody's kind of blown smoke up their ass, which you know is a real thing as a oh, person yeah. who's a home brewer and the people, I mean, Preston tells you all the time, the hardest thing is to get real feedback because everybody will tell you how good your beer is because you brewed it for, you know, and you gave them a sample and they're going to tell you, oh my God, it's so fucking good. But, you know, these home brewers get this inflated idea of what their beers actually are. Not to say that there's not some fantastic home brewers out there, 
because I've I've know some and I've I've drank some of their beers. <laughs> <Preston>. But <laughs> but if you don't give a home brewer honest feedback on their beers and then they open up a brewery, they're gonna think that their stout is a top ten stout in the world. Yep. And and sometimes they're just not very good and and they don't know it. And if that's the mistake, then that that's not really on them. That's more on everybody who's kind of blown smoke up their ass and, and inflated their ego a little bit. But if they're the kind of brewer who's like, oh, we'll work out the kinks and we'll do this. And then you know what? That's shame on them. That's like that's like a slap in the face to the customers. You're giving them an inferior product knowingly and and trying to pass it off as something that's passable. And and you have intentions of fixing it in the future, like that's kind of that's a shitty business move. And that's something that like I'm not okay with. And when I see that happen, more often than not, that's a brewery I kind of write off. And I'm like, you know what? Like they're about the money, which is fine. You're a business, you're about the money, but it's like they care less about my good time and my palate and what I'm paying for than me just giving them money. So that's not somewhere I need to be. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons why I respect Dogfish and what they stand for is that they've openly admitted numerous times that if a beer is not up to their standards, it's dumped. It is not poured. I will never tap it. It is never seeing the light of day. And I think that is just an unfortunate circumstance that most breweries, in my opinion, from what I've seen, don't follow. Like I've been to a brewery in Florida that had a sour IPA. And that's what they called it, a sour IPA. When did a sour IPA ever become a thing? Like, is that a new style that I didn't know about? Or is that just a beer that didn't hit efficiency, might have gotten infected, they fucking threw cocoa nibs and coconuts in it, whatever the fuck, and they just called it something that it is. Like, I'm sure that happens. Oh, and they sell off beer like that. I mean, we when we had our interview with Ryan from Red Cypress, he told you one of the first things that they did, they had a, a big batch of citra hop, 100% citra hop IPA that they made that didn't come out right, whatever, and they had to dump the entire batch. Yep. He said thousands and thousands of dollars down the drain, you know? But I respected that because I oh, know yeah. I know that there are big, big breweries that don't do that. And I know there are small breweries that still have the integrity to do that. And that wins out. Like knowing you're going to, what did I, I've said for years that Weyerbacher is one of my favorite breweries and it's a Belgian inspired brewery, but Weyerbacher makes like eight beers year round. They don't make a whole lot of beer. They make uh, a few seasonals and some different stuff. I think total their portfolio can't be more than 20 beers. And every single one of them, is a well-executed good beer. They will not put out anything shitty. And if they try to brew something, they won't release it if it's not good. Mm-hmm. And that is something I really respect out of a brewery that's only putting out limited amount of beer that is putting out stuff that every time you open that bottle, you're like, man, that's a fucking good beer. You know, yeah, and, and that's, that's what it should be. Yeah, and that's that's really good quality control too, which is another aspect I think is lacking in a lot of breweries. Uh, some that we've mentioned on the show is, is that, you know, they just, I don't know, like, I don't know if they try it each batch. It's like, all right, this is a beer we're going for. Or they just don't even try it. They just put it straight to bottles or cans. I don't know. But, you know, that's, oh, it's so, it's, you got you to take that. It's That's so important because we see it. We know it. We can taste it. Well, it's another, I mean, and that's, the, yeah, the beer is one thing, but you know, I'm big on atmosphere. That's, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
and there's there's so many breweries that don't open up with any atmosphere or any kind of like personality personality or culture and what i was saying before the coolest thing like five years ago when when craft beer was kind of taking off in florida and stuff is you'd go into a brewery and they'd have like a chalkboard or a tv that has like their beer lineup on it and it has all the information and what's in it and all that stuff and you're like wow that's fucking cool like i have that right in front of me i know what all their beer is and everything now everybody has that but i feel like having any kind of creative way to display your beers and what goes in them as much information as you can in a brief little synopsis of what's in that beer and what its flavor is supposed to taste like and ABV and clarity and all the bullshit that you put on there. Anything like that is like that little touch is huge. And I, I don't think handing somebody a menu with your beers for the day on it carries as much weight as having some kind of really cool display of what's on tap, you know, a wall, a wall of your beers. Um, I also think a huge thing that some of the, a lot of breweries down in South Florida do, but not a lot up in, in Orlando area, but like having local artists come in and do murals or painting their walls with local art or local pop culture and having references to local sports teams and things like that. Like, like you should walk in and the place should be funky and a little bit weird almost to the point where you're like, this is like a little time capsule to what Orlando is or what Jupiter is. And, um, you know, whether it's just local artists doing a mural of, you know, the Jupiter lighthouse on the wall and whatever. I mean, it's just like that kind of stuff. Jay Wakefield, I think is a great example. Oh, yeah. They have, yeah. Like Jay Wakefield art. has art all over the front of the building, inside the building. They have like star Wars references. They've got like all kinds of just crazy, just weird art on the walls. And it's when you go in there, like you, you will look at it and you notice it. And it's just like really cool. Yeah. So, and yeah, yeah, I hear it. This new brewery downtown nails that to the T. Everything's like Orlando theme, Florida theme, got oranges, palm trees, the whole shebang. Um, I think it's the best tap room and atmosphere in Orlando in terms of a, just a tap room. Um, so this one really excelled in that. And I'm glad because you got to have a good tap room when you go downtown Orlando because there's just so much competition to where this brewery really, really nailed, you know killed it with it and thank goodness because it's made the experience a whole lot better so now with that jeff you have another point you want to mention because i have i have three left and i have okay. a feeling that we're gonna have a little overlap <laughs> okay well let's see I want me to tell you my next three and then you tell me and then if uh yeah, yeah let's do that okay um well we'll definitely overlap on i only have two left um okay. nope actually i only have one left so and it's and it's one that you'll definitely have because I know how passionate you are about flights. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, flights, Lay flights, flights. <laughs> flights, flights, flights. Gotta have the flights. Come on, you have to. Oh, I have actually no. I do have. I do have two. I have flights and I have merchandise. Right, I think that merchandise flights. is important, but flights are also flights are way more important. Flights is like the life's blood of a, of a craft brewery. If you don't have it, I don't understand what you're doing. Like. Everybody comes in wanting to try as many of your beers as possible without getting completely annihilated shit can drunk or spending a fortune. Mm -hmm. And it's also like, it's the easiest thing to add to say, I want to have a beer and Cassie wants to have a beer, but we also want to try a bunch of beers. We're going to each get a beer and then we're going to get a flight to share. Sure. It's like so accessible to drink. You know, you order two flights. Me and Cassie could leave 
drinking one beer's worth of beer or one and a half beer's worth of beer and trying eight different beers. It's mm-hmm. like it's beautiful. It's the perfect thing to do if you're a craft brewer. Yeah. So many people don't don't I don't know why they don't want to do a flight or whatever, but I think it's I think it's I 100% agree. You read my mind. Flights are a must. And I think it's so funny when bartenders complain about flights taking so much time. I hate doing flights. They suck. They take up so much of my time, this and that. But yet, you know, you go to a brewery and a flight can be anywhere from, I've seen flights as cheap as $9 and I've seen flights as much as 15 So that one customer who wants a flight, their tab is somewhere between 9 to $15. And you only serve them once compared to if someone's getting three beers, that's the same price. You have to serve that one customer three separate times. But yet they complain about flights. It's been one, two, three breweries that I've overheard bartenders complaining about the amount of flights they make. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Oh, there's a shirt talking. No, I'm listening. Are you listening? So, yeah, Yeah. that's the the point I was trying to make. I don't get it. No, and I agree. It's, and I used to, we used to sell flights like crazy at World of Beer. That was like a big thing that we would do. Um, it, It was part of, kind of what wob was it was a great place to come sample new beers and try different things and we had specific flights on the menu and it was never an, a hassle for us to make them um no i, I never had you, a problem and if you have a good system in place to make them it shouldn't be hard like the people who hate making them are the people who have to oh i actually have to give suggestions about beer it's like bitch that's what you fucking signed up for like that's why you're a bartender <laughs> yeah. like that you i thought you liked beer you know like you should want to give suggestions about it so those are the people who complain because obviously, you know, I would say 60% of the time when people come up to order a flight, they don't know every beer that they want. And they want you to kind of tell them what's good and what's not good and what's your recommendation and this. And I get where like the person to person interaction is a little bit greater on doing a flight than it is on one, you know, one beer. Sure. But like, I thought that was the whole point of being in this industry was so that you could communicate about what you do. Like, Presumably, you're pretty passionate about beer if you're working at a craft brewery. You would assume so. You yeah, should yeah, yeah. you should want to talk about it. You know, I just find it I just find it hilarious that they they bitch or and, and complain to where like, well, if I'm but I'm if I'm you know paying for a twelve dollar flight, I'm giving you a three dollar tip, like, and you've helped me once, to where if I'm getting a beer, you know, a pint a pint of beer for five dollars, I'm tipping you kind of a dollar a dollar fifty per beer. Uh, honestly probably a dollar depending on on the beer assuming it's five dollars so it's like you know you're caught you're you're spending more time with the one person but you're only helping them once and you're still getting three hours compared to like i said earlier if someone's ordering three beers you're you're you know doing it three times i don't know and getting a few bucks yeah so i never had a problem doing flights i actually enjoyed pouring flights because then i would ask the person what they thought of each beer and that helped you know help me give Get a better idea on their palate, maybe on beer that I haven't had, that I'm interested in trying, all this, you know, so on and so forth. So, anyway, must have flights. <laughs> What's must your last one? Merchandise is my last one. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be all kinds of stuff. But a t-shirt, uh, at least one or two men or women's, both, you know, one man's, one woman's t-shirt, uh, a pint glass, some koozies, some stickers. keychains, some stickers. stickers. Some some small stuff. I mean, it, this could literally be stuff you can keep behind the bar and put one little display case up. Um, but 
something that people can take away from your bar. It gives people an incentive to come to buy something. It gives tourists something to buy to say, I was at this brewery. Um, there are so many brewery t-shirts that are worn all over the place now that you are missing out on a huge opportunity if you don't have a merchandise, uh, as we know at At The Bar, because if you go on at thebarpodcast.com, we have merchandise. Hint, hint. Um, working but, on it. <laughs> working on it. But merchandise, I think, is a huge thing for these breweries, and they need to capitalize on it. I've gone to a lot of breweries that don't have any kind of merchandise whatsoever, not even keychains, not even anything and um like mike is a collector of of pint glasses there's a lot of people who collect beer memorabilia of any kind Uh, i have a ton of brewery t-shirts i buy i buy them all the time um i also have a ton of brewery hats i buy hats at almost every brewery i go to um but i don't if you don't have it, I'm not going to buy it. So one, that's a lost sale for you, but I'm not also going to rep your brand. So that's another lost opportunity for yeah. you. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff are conversation starters too, to where if you're at a, a, a beer festival or you're at some sort of like an event, someone's going to say, Hey, what's that? What's that brewery? Where's that at? Oh, it's in Boynton beach or, Oh, it's in Tampa. And that's the conversation piece. Oh, well, next time I'm over in that area, I'll have to check them out. And that's, you know, you lose out on that customer too, on top of the sales and whatnot. Got to have merch, even if it's just a little bit, even if it's like a black t-shirt, men's and women's, one style hat, a sticker, and a magnet. That's it. That's all you need, just to get you going. Then you can move on and get bigger stuff, better stuff. So anyway, is that is that your last one, Jeff? That's my last one. All right, cool. I got I got three left, and... I know Jessica really going to agree with me. Two of them are kind of the same thing. So I'll kind of combine them together. One, when you're opening a new brewery, what do you need to get done? Variety. Secondly, yes. if you cannot do variety for some reason, if you're like, I only have time to brew four or five beers, guys at the bar podcast, I need help. What do I do? Make variations and treatments. And that will cover your ass until you can get your brewing schedule set up and, and finalized. Variety, 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 variety. Or you can do uh, treatments. So if you have a good, if you have an IPA and it's a good IPA, good base, add grapefruit because everyone else fucking does. Add this, add that. You can turn one brew, you know, beer into as many different uh, variations of the IPA as long as you have the kegs to put the beer in. And that will cover your ass to, like Jeff said, if you have 12 to 20 taps and you only have six of your own beers brewed, well, give them all treatments. <laughs> Who the fuck cares? I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, the thing is the treatment, I don't know why this changed. The treatment thing becoming a different beer is a, is a possibility. Like Cigar City, like, do people realize that Jose Marti and like some of their other like big beers are treatments of their core line? Like, do yeah. people realize <laughs> that? Like, but they just call them a different beer. Like, yeah. White Oak High Lie is the only one that's called White Oak High Lie. Like, they easily could have just called that, like, Cigar City High Lie, or Cigar City White Oak IPA, and we would all not know that it was a treatment of High Lie, that it was just their new White Oak IPA. So, like, if you have a good base core six beers and you make six different treatments, you don't have to call them core IPA with mango. You can just literally call it Mango Daydream IPA. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, dude, if you had their Mango Daydream IPA, it's really good. It's better than their normal IPA. 
Yep. Oh, really? Because it's actually a treatment of their normal IPA, but you don't fucking have to know that. We don't have to tell you that. Right. So, like, or they can or name it a whole it. different beer. They yeah, can name it a whole different beer. And then all of a sudden, their six beers turns into 12 really fast. And that's what breweries stop doing that. Like, Cigar City did a great job of that. Almost all of their original, like, cool beers were, like, like Cubano Espresso and Puppy's Breath and, like, those things are, like, treatments of their other beers uh, to a degree. Um, their, their, their recipes tweaked a little bit. And, like, they expanded their entire craft lineup just by tweaking their five core brands, like... I mean, and, you, have, you have Madura Brown, you have Vanilla Madura, you have Highlight, you have White Oak Highlight, which is Highlight in White Oak Barrels, and then you have Peach White Oak Highlight, which is White Oak Highlight in, with peaches. <laughs> That's they, <two> had, years. <laughs> they had straw, They had Strawberry Shortcake, which was treated uh, Hellas. They had, uh, I mean, it's, I can't, I mean, if I, if I sat there and looked up their lineup, I could tell you all the ones that are treated beers of their own lineup, but multiple of their beers were just treated versions of other beers that they had. Yeah, uh, Funky Buddha does it too. You have Last Though, you have Last Buffalo in the Park, you have Snowden. Morningwood, Snowden. All treatments of one of their, I mean, it's not a core beer, but it's, you know, what put them, whatever. You have Maple Bacon Coffee, that has another two treatments. And they mm-hmm. just name them different. And most people won't know unless somebody tells them, like, oh, well, oh, this that's is Maple Imperial Bacon. Last Snow, or that's this, yeah. yeah. They, most people won't know. They're just like, oh, this is kind of, well, it's Last Snow in Bourbon Barrels. Oh, okay. Totally. And that's, right. that's how you can fill your lineup j- until you can get a brewing system schedule. I'm, I'm sorry, brewing schedule down. It's a great way. And you're not having to spend extra money or working long hours. You just, you know, you could do a blonde, a, a, an IPA, uh, I don't know, whatever, the, a porter, a stout, and then whatever the fuck you want. Well, Mike, how many, so Throw shit in there. this is just off of, uh, off of just what we're kind of talking about. How many recipes if you're opening a brewery, how many recipes for beer do you think you need? Even if your goal is just to have six or seven of your own beers on tap, how many recipes could, should you do you think you should have at will ready to brew? Oh, uh, 20. You think so? You don't think you need just whatever you're brewing? You need no. to. I agree. I think you need to be forward thinking enough to know that you need right. to have some stuff in the back to. In, in case of, if you only brew six beers, only two of them or three of them might be popular. The other four might suck, right? You know, in the eyes of your customer, then you need to take them out and fill them in with something else, or tweak okay. them, or change them, or whatever. So if you don't have a back stock of recipes, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, and you want the you know if you're only can, if you only do six beers, you should really have at least triple that of recipes that you've already brewed in the past as best you can on the system, and and. To where you know you're not doing the recipe for the first time ever right and you know they don't have to be treatments or, or anything they can be you know you can do an i you can do a florida ipa with a ton of oranges and orange peel and you can do but you want to make sure that all these recipes that you've had you've brewed at some capacity before and that includes mm-hmm. seasonal so that 20 recipes should include you know one or two seasonals should you know a summer two summer two fall two spring you know an yeah. Oktoberfest. So, you know, it's it's easy to get that much recipes. And most people who've been brewing have way more than 20 recipes that they've done before, but for mm-hmm. sure. And um and variety. And variety. I mean, you gotta come on, guys. Like, you know, we've done we've dings. I mean, I personally, I'll speak for myself, have given civil society a lot of poo-poo with friends that we kind of briefly mentioned on the show that all they have are just IPAs and hoppy this and hoppy that and I want a variety 
and they do they do great beer. Their their darker beers are awesome. But the last few times I've gone down there, it's been eight beers on tap. Maybe there might be one dark one. Maybe. And the rest are hoppy wheat, hoppy pale ale, IPA, IPA, double IPA, IPA. Right. And it's like, you know, that I feel I'm not an IPA person. I've been drinking them a lot more, but I'm I'm more of a malt guy. And like I like, oh shit, like now I can't come here because every time I come here, they have shit I don't I'm not, you know, wanting to try because it's like everything's fucking hoppy. The variety is important. Not even that. Even if you're going to be all hoppy, then be diversified in hops at least. Like, like I feel like so many of their beers are so similar. Like, I, I un- agree. Unfiltered citrus bombs of varying yep. levels of alcohol, and it's like, dude, I get it. Like, you guys kill it with that. Like, you guys have an all. You're you're good at that. Like, that's a good style for you. You know how to make that beer really well. But like. God damn, man! Like, <laughs> how many how many variations of that style before you're like, shit? Maybe we could do a porter or a or a stout or a even a fucking hefeweizen or a or a German style of some anything, kind or anything. literally like just branch out. Like, you are good brewers. You're very good brewers, but yeah. like unfiltered citrus IPAs are like everyone has a billion of them. Stop making so many of them. You have a hundred. Like, I think yeah. you could probably back off on those, keep those recipes, keep making them, but like start branching into something else, man. Cause like, Jesus, I know like 40% of people, IPAs are their favorite kind of beer, but that leaves 60% of people that share a love of either malts or yeast, you know? So like maybe start appealing to them a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> like Jesus. I know all the, the, the big civil society fans are all going to comment and just say, Oh, you guys always hate civil civil is God. We're- I found a picture on Facebook on one of the crappier groups and I sent it to Jeff and I said, there are seven different beers in this, in this picture, one dark beer and the other six looked fucking identical, identical, Un- all, unfiltered, all varying different. different. Yeah. They're all they look the exact fucking same. So we're not, we're not retarded. We're not, you know, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> and don't, and don't think like, I'm not bashing civil society cause I don't like civil society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like their beers. Them. I do like their beers and I think they're a good brewery. And like, I just gave them credit a little bit. Like you guys are good brewers. Like, you know what you're doing. So why you're choosing to only do IPAs. Like I get it. Maybe that's your favorite. Maybe that's your wheelhouse. Like you do a great job with it. Don't stop doing IPAs. I'm not saying stop doing them. I'm saying maybe try doing some other stuff that you're a little bit more diversified so that people like me, who are not crazy hop heads who do appreciate IPAs. And every time I go in there, I get a few of them, but it's not my my favorite style. (laughs) Right. It's not my favorite style. So if you want people like me and Mike or other, you know, multi people to come in and drink some of your beers, like you could expand your market instantly by putting on more multi stuff occasionally. Yeah. That's, that's all we ask. That's it. You know, but I mean, I, I like civil, as a brewery, they're, they're, they do quality. It's great, but I just my that's my one huge gripe with them is is the variety, and I've made that known to everybody. So it's like I'm hiding anything. And the very last thing that I want to bring up, and the most important, and I try to preach it every single day that I go to work, every everything, quality over everything. I might even make that into a damn shirt. Quality over everything. That should be a shirt. Let's make that a shirt. Official. That shirt. That's going to be a shirt. It is. We mentioned it kind of 
before in this episode earlier, but I cannot freaking stress enough quality, quality, quality. If you're advertising a beer that is a Neapolitan or a cherry stout with cherries and whatever, I better taste the fucking cherries. Give me the cherries. <laughs> well, that's not, I don't know if that's quality or if that's just not being a fucking liar, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's something. That yeah, if you're gonna call something something, it better fucking taste like what you say it is. Exactly. But but quality is to me quality is at the minimum, the minimum, not at the maximum, not at we did it, success, woohoo, put this beer on, it's gonna win fucking awards. No, at the minimum, you need to hit style. One hundred percent agree with you. If you 100%. are opening a brewery and you are putting out a beer called a porter, it better not be a light-bodied brown ale because I will fucking hate it. And not only that, <laughs> it might taste good. It might taste <laughs> yeah. really good. Like, I might think that that's the best brown ale I've had ever, but I will still give that beer a two on untapped, and I will still talk shit about it because <laughs> of the fact that it did not – you lied. Like, you, that's not you a quality lied. beer. That's not a quality beer. And people who say I need a porter, so I'm going to turn this brown ale into a porter because I need one on my tap list because I have two brown ales. And no, fuck that. Like, put out quality beer. That's it. Your job is to hit style. Like, if you can't brew and hit style, then you should not be a professional brewer. If I couldn't throw a spiral, I'm not going to be a quarterback. Like, you need to do what you're good at. And if you're not going to hit style, you have an obligation to do so quality over everything. Hit your style. If you're brewing for that style and you miss it, don't release that beer. Yeah. Like, or that's, don't call that's, it a porter. Call it a brown ale. It's <laughs> that simple. Like yeah. the, I just, I don't understand it. I don't get the motivation behind it. And it might be people blowing smoke up their ass and saying, this is the best porter I've ever had. Or it might not be. I don't know. But I don't get the motivation between behind not being quality based. Like it just it blows my mind. Like that should be the one thing you should be proud of. You're you're creating more so than any other business. Like I I work in a restaurant. I make food. I'm creating dishes. I'm not creating the ingredients to those dishes. Like like your beer is your creation. Like that's you should be so proud of what you're putting out. Yeah. And to not hit quality, like, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. And and I 100, 100 and infinity agree with you. And I want to point out and I want to admit something that I haven't said on the show or to Jeff. In the first episode, you mentioned when I asked you the most important aspect of a beer. And you said body. And I laughed. It's like one of the first five episodes. And I laughed. I said, I wasn't expecting that. Really? Body, not taste? fuck was i wrong as a 29 year old old crotchety man if it does not hit body i don't give a fuck what it tastes like i yep. do not care that beer is i just shit on that if it's if it's a porter like you said and it tastes like a brown ale i do not care what it tastes what it smells like it fucking failed i don't want it <laughs> on the on the very few check-ins i have on untapped the bot <laughs> the body is the first thing i rate every single time oh yeah I think the body of the beer is is so important to how you enjoy it. Like it just everything comes through if the body is right. The flavor follows, 
the finish follows. The nose is usually a little more potent if the body's right. I mean, not to say the body being right doesn't necessarily mean it's full body. Like a body being right could be that it's light bodied. But if you if it hits what it's expected to hit with the body, the rest of it follows through more often than not. Right. Agreed. It's I mean, if if I like I if I had a beer and it was let's say sea porter, right, from Lauderdale, that to me is the best coconut porter I've ever had in my life to date. If that was if that body was thin, it it would go from a five five out of five on tap to maybe a three and a half, maybe right. a three and a half at best. And and my comments could say body lacking body, body's watery, body isn't per style. And that went from a five beer to a three and a half at best. But and it could still have the exact same flavor. Yeah, the exact same flavor. But thankfully, by great God, the beer god himself. It's still delicious. Still five out of five. <laughs> Go to Lauderdale. Sea Porter. I love Sea Porter. <laughs> I do love Sea Porter. But that's but that's you know I laughed and I I not wasn't necessarily wrong but I've seen the light and I'm a I'm a much more critical beer drinker. <laughs> <laughs> but value uh, quality over everything, guys. Like I oh god, taste is subjective, but body is not, in my opinion. So. There you go. That's if you're open to brewery or tips, even go to. Brewery. What? I didn't hear you cut out. No, I mean, this could be, you know, body over everything. This could go to opening a brewery or if you're looking to go to a new brewery you haven't been to, maybe these, this could be like tips too, things to look at that we see. Yes. Yeah. So this could be taken different ways. But anyway, I mean, not, not to say that we're experts because we're, I'm not no, certainly we're, saying we're that. that. We're <laughs> So, this is going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Jeff, you got anything you want to kind of plug or let the audience know? Um, Besides the fact you've been super busy like like all of us. God, man. <laughs> I've been so busy. I've been traveling like fucking crazy. We went up to Buffalo uh, two weeks ago for a wedding. Went to uh, Riverworks Brewing up on the river up there in downtown Buffalo. Amazing fucking place. If you're ever in the Buffalo area, go to Riverworks. Um, it's like a sports, um, like a sports facility with like a roller rink inside and like rock climbing and zip lines and an outside beer garden that's gigantic and uh, like six different bars. The place is gigantic and it's a, a brewery. It's a really cool spot. Uh, we went there. We went to a stillery called Stillhouse, um, which had one of the best barrel-aged gins I've ever had. Um, their own Campari, their own like liqueurs and bitters mm-hmm. and all that stuff that they make themselves. Right. Fantastic spirits. Uh, and then we uh, we drank a lot of craft beer. We had a good time. It was a really awesome trip. You did um, go Southern Tier. We went to Southern Tier when we went up to yeah Jamestown, but that's it's not in Jamestown, but that's where Cassie's from. It's right down from right near her house. We went up there, really cool. They have a distillery as well. Uh, their their spirits are not my favorite, but their beers are very good. So um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed all of the beers we had when we were there. The atmosphere is super cool. It's a great brewery. Um, their distillery their their spirits are a little bit uh rubbing alcoholish they need to uh, yeah. tweak they need to get it figured out a little bit more with this with the spirits but um but they actually this the the distillery was cool like they have good they made good craft cocktails and they made 
like fresh ingredient kind of stuff. And the bartenders were really knowledgeable. Um, and it was a really cool experience to go there and the drinks were actually really good, but they were just kind of making them with their own liquor, which was not that good. So mm-hmm. it would have been better if they were making them with better liquor is all, but the, sure. but the actual experience of going there was really cool. Nice. Um, Otherwise, just tune in. Tune in next week. We're doing it. Uh, we're doing the part two of the Cuba. Cuba trip. Benales up into tobacco country, talking about the history of Cuban tobacco farms, uh, cigar industry, rolling the cigars, everything like that. What goes into that whole aspect of Cuban life? And that'll be next week. Next uh, episode. And, yeah, next episode. And otherwise, I don't have a whole lot else, man. Cool, man. So on on my end, I know Jeff made a made a little joke about the uh, the store. It is coming along, guys. Um, we're I'm working with our graphic designer to get our logo tweaked just a little bit, uh, just to help even it out before we start printing it on shirts. Um, I'm back and forth, either keeping the logo or changing it. I don't know yet. More like I'm leaning towards keeping it, but um, if for some reason I can't get the logo fixed, then we might have to. Uh, I don't know. I haven't. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that the first shirt we will be releasing is drum roll, please. The Cider Chug Club shirt. So no way. To be a member of the CCC. Yep, I have. The I have CCC it all. CCC shirt. Yep. Nah. Yep. That's what I got. I have the design already done. I'm Supreme Viceroy of the CCC. You're, you're, you're number one. You're the president of the CCC. So uh, that's not true. That's not true. Oh, Zach Richowski. Okay, well, you're you're acting president. But anyway, that will be <laughs> <laughs> that will be up on that store super soon. Don't know when. I want to wait on the logo a little bit longer before I just say fuck it and just upload it. <laughs> but that will be our first shirt, so everyone can be members of the Saturday Chuck Club, and then. I'll Love be it. making a quality over everything shirt here shortly, but it's happening, guys. Quality, I swear, I quality over everything. Quality over everything. So, Keep other away. than that, yep. Other than that, just working my job, being the craft beer consultant, ordering new beers, running the beer department at my store. So uh, we're getting new shit, man. I'm excited. Very cool. Well, that's it for me, and then the work on the show. So love it again. Won't keep you guys too much longer. Thanks again for listening. And as always, we will see you at the bar. Peace. Cheers.